My name is Devin Roy, and I've been leading and managing teams for more than 30 years. I have expertise in coaching, interrogation, and strategy development. Most companies use a morning huddle to connect with their teams, to disseminate information, and to create alignment. I will share with you proven real-world strategies and techniques that will help you be more successful. So open your minds, listen closely. The morning huddle starts now. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the morning huddle. Today's topic is the anatomy of the coaching conversation. Before I actually learned how to coach, I was pretty effective at interrogating people. However, whenever I talk about interrogation techniques and coaching, this raises some eyebrows. This is because TV shows have done a great job of sensationalizing the interrogation process, but there's no yelling or slamming a fist. In fact, the best interrogators are able to connect with people and gain their trust in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. You know, in the beginning, I found this line of work very exhilarating. In fact, the skills that I developed in doing hours of research and preparing for cases was integral to my future success. But there are limitations to interrogating people as you enter every conversation with one goal in mind. Get the admission. Nothing else really matters. It doesn't matter what evidence you have. It doesn't matter what facts you know. You had one job. Get them to tell you everything so that HR could process determination. Or better yet, PD could parade them out in handcuffs. Now one thing we do in interrogations is we help them rationalize their behavior. It makes it safe for them to tell us the most heinous things. Okay, you took money out of the register, but you're trying to buy diapers for your baby. It's not like you shot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue. You know, through this process of rationalization, I became fascinated with the human condition, and I began to see the outcomes of these conversations as an indictment on the entire process. As a result, I left the field and began my pursuit in trying to change this. I began to view terminations and resignations as a failure in leadership. We have to be honest with ourselves. Did we hire the right person? Is that process broken? Are we developing people and helping them to self-actualize? What does that look like? Are we retaining the best talent and providing them with growth opportunities that match their growth potential? Once I began learning how to have developmental conversations, I realized something was missing. We didn't spend any time on behavior rationalization. I also noticed that leaders talk way too much Coaching conversations seemed to reinforce positional divide. Leaders relied on their position power and cultures premised on compliance. We have learned that compliance-based cultures don't actually modify behavior and provide little opportunities for growth. I quickly realized that coaching and interrogating were two sides of the same coin, and I used my skills as an interrogator to get people to modify their behavior. Instead of getting them to admit some impropriety, I led them to self-discovery. As a former interrogator, I loved having the more difficult conversations and getting people to leave on their own recognizance. Interrogation is all about the art of the question. The purpose of asking a question is to either learn or to guide. And I knew that I had to figure out how not just to get people to leave their role but to get people to live up to their full potential. So I began reading and writing and teaching and experimenting with how I could join these two models together. And this is what I'm gonna share with you guys today. So I'm gonna provide you with the framework for an eight-step coaching model that may not sound dissimilar to what you're doing today. 
The difference is the application of these steps and how to approach it from the mindset of an interrogator. I would encourage you to have this coaching conversation face-to-face. You need to be able to read their expressions and they need to see yours. Seeing empathy is much more powerful than hearing it and it helps to establish a relationship of trust between you and those you lead. So let's get started with step one. The first question I'll ask my leaders is what's the outcome you seek? It's important to understand, are we coaching someone up or coaching them out? Where are we in the coaching process? And unfortunately, we can't save everyone, and so we can't coach like a superhero. So we have to go into every coaching conversation with a goal in mind. And this helps us with the next step. Step two is prepare for the conversation. Prepare by outlining the questions that you're going to be asking and anticipate the responses to those questions. You should also prepare a follow-up question depending on what the response might be. Ensure you know all the facts about the topic that you'll be discussing. And if you have supporting documents, review them in advance so that you can speak intelligently about them. It's important to role-play the conversation, either in your head or with a coworker, so that you can prepare for every eventuality. Let's move on to step three. Step three is get their permission to meet. You know, when I used to interrogate people, Getting them to the interrogation room was a challenge unto itself. For example, I may say something to the effect, Hey, John, I'm working on something and I need your help to kind of put a bow on this. We'll love it if you could come up and talk to me. Is now a good time? Doing this increases their receptivity to the conversation. In many cases, they know they have to have this conversation. Asking their permission gives them some sense of control over a situation in which they have none. Step four, set up your area for productive conversation. If you're going to do this in your office, clear the clutter. Disorganization can be very distracting. If you're having a difficult conversation, I would urge you to remove your name badge. Maybe loosen your tie. Do something to make yourself more relatable or authentic if that's necessary. If you're going to use a witness, make sure the witness outranks them but doesn't outrank you. You must be the authority in the conversation. Seating arrangements are also important. I like to position them with their back to the door. If they can see the door, then the mind is focused on leaving and not focused on what you need to discuss. This takes us to step five. It's time to have the conversation. State the purpose of your meeting. Only present facts during this part of the conversation. Your opinion is not important. In some cases, you may have to do an introduction that provides more context to the questions you'll be asking. If you're reviewing documents, have them read the results and ask them for their thoughts when they're done. Once you've established a baseline for what you will be discussing, it's time to move to step six. Step six is determine the why. The why behind the behavior. The why behind the impropriety. The why behind the indiscretion. This is where the real work is done in the conversation. And you have to be disciplined. You're going to want to talk too much. You're going to want to tell. But you have to ask questions 100% of the time and step six. This is where the art of the question comes in. You're going to have to know when to ask a leading question, when to ask open-ended questions or closed-ended questions. You're going to have to summarize the statements in the form of a question. If you feel you just have to add a statement, end it with a question. For example, you may say something to the effect of, is that fair to say? Or how do you feel about that statement I just made? At any rate, You have to keep asking questions until their mind moves to a place of acceptance. If they're leaning in and their arms are not folded, you're making great progress. 
Once they have accepted that they have to modify their behavior, you can move on to step seven. Step seven is develop an action plan. This has to be 100% their plan. Avoid starting off with, how can I help? Your job is to guide them and support them in developing the plan. Guide them with questions so that they can satisfy the concern with appropriate actions. Let's now move to the last and final step. Set the expectation for follow-up. This is step eight and a step that many leaders forget. If you're showing up tomorrow morning to check in, that shouldn't be a surprise. Otherwise, they lose trust in the process and they may feel harassed. Ensure you agree on a cadence for the follow-up and make a date for your next meeting before you end the conversation. If during the follow-up you see positive behavioral change, give them praise. It's okay to praise someone who's failing. This does not absolve them of their performance management issues, nor does it suddenly assume that they're at standard. This only reinforces the point that you care and you want them to succeed. Even when we're coaching people out of their positions or out of the organization, we're wanting the best for them in those moments. It is managerial malpractice to allow people to stay in roles in which they are failing. We need to lead everyone to self-discovery so that they can choose their own path and not let the process decide it for them. You know, what I've learned over the years is that the best coaches help the good to be great and they help the poor performers to find their passions so that they too will know greatness. That's it for today's podcast on the anatomy of a coaching conversation. Please tune into future podcasts in which I dive deeper into each step. Have a great week, everyone. And I hope you've been enriched by what you've heard in the morning huddle. Thank you.